play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, the show where celebrities share stories about the foods they love most, and we dig into the history, culture, or science of those meals with experts from around the world. Today on the program, Amanda Knox. Amanda became internationally known in 2007 when she was wrongfully convicted of murdering her roommate, Meredith Kircher, while studying abroad in Perugia, Italy. She spent nearly four years in an Italian prison and eight years on trial before finally being acquitted for a crime she didn't commit in 2015. Amanda has since written the best-selling memoir, Waiting to be Heard. She sits on the board of the Frederick Douglass Project for Justice and serves as an Innocence Network ambassador. I interviewed Amanda in Seattle on stage at a sold out live taping at the end of last year. And it was an incredible conversation. Amanda is so thoughtful, so smart, so well-spoken, and also very funny. Now, I have to admit that I had a bit of an agenda when I was preparing for this interview. I wanted to humanize Amanda, or rather let Amanda humanize herself. She was at the center of a very salacious murder case. Her face was on every tabloid. The media called her Foxy Noxy. And my hope was that listening to Amanda talk about her experience in her own words would remind people that she is not just a face on a magazine, that she is a real person. All right, let's get over to the live event with Amanda Knox at the Great Hall at Green Lake in Seattle. to Your Last Meal Live! For those of you who are not KCTS members, we had a little reception in this room beforehand with a lot of cheese, and that cheese could be yours if you become a member. We have unlimited cheese, or like three kinds at least. So if you want to become a member, go to kcts9.org slash donate. And there's so many events that we do for members that you're invited to. And of course, you are supporting public media. You are paying Big Bird's salary, which has to feel good. Now we're going to thank our partners uh, who also helped make tonight possible. Thank you to Avenia Wine, Fremont Beer and Outdoor Whiskey and Sparkle Donkey Tequila. So we have a uh, Yuzu Margarita that's on the menu, which was really fun. So give it up for our sponsors. And now for our special guest. Joining me tonight on stage is Amanda Knox. She is a journalist, New York Times bestselling author, an advocate for criminal justice reform, and she also hosts a podcast, Because It Is the Law in America, called Labyrinth, with her husband, who is here tonight, Christopher Robinson. Between 2007 and 2015, Amanda spent four years in prison and eight years on trial for a crime she didn't commit, and she loves cats. That was not a part of the official bio, but I am also a journalist and I did my research. So Amanda, come on out. Welcome. I do love cats. You do? Do you have three cats? I have three cats, and I love them despite the fact that they are not reacting well to a newborn in the house. Oh, yeah. Amanda had a baby seven weeks ago. Yes. (laughs) So if I start leaking, just let me know. Yeah. (laughs) And a a real concern. And the lights are bright, so don't raise a hand. Just yell something like, boobs. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That'll be the signal. We'll hear it loud and clear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for being here. This is kind of an interesting interview because the show is generally very light and we are going to talk about food and fun things, but we're going to start a little bit more serious um, and then yeah. we're going to get to the fun. It's like dessert. So first Great. we Perfect. have to yeah. have our vegetables. Yeah. Um, so before I started like really digging in and researching, you know, years after all of this happened, Before then, I thought, why would you want to do an interview like this? Why would you want to do all of these interviews? If it was me, I would just want to go hide Mm. and pretend this never happened and hope that people just forget completely. Mm. Uh, So I'm curious for you to talk about why 
you do interviews like this, why you do interviews with the New York Times and any number of people. Yeah, that's, um, I love the way that you phrased that question because it's, do I want to go hide? Do I want to pretend this um, never happened? Do yeah. I want to disappear? And I think that the answer kind of frankly was I did want to hide. Mm -hmm. um, there was a little period of my time when I first came back that I had this naive notion that I was going to get to go back to the life that I had before yeah. I was accused of murder. I would get to go back to being an anonymous college student. Yeah. And it became very clear to me very fast that that life no longer existed for me. Yeah. And now the name and my name and my face and my identity had been usurped in a, in a big way. And it wasn't just like I was going to navigate the world like a regular person. Yeah. I was going to be recognized all the time. And if people saw my name, they were going to associate it with certain tragic events. And I had to really ask myself, do I have a place in this world anymore? And for a while, I didn't really think I did. I didn't think I belonged to the rest of the humanity like most people did, and I felt incredibly isolated. And it made me think, you know, why, go, why do an interview? Well, I knew that one of my biggest challenges was that my story was being told by seemingly everybody else yeah. but me. Yeah. And so I felt like as I was processing my own journey, I should, I should at the very least have my one voice out there as one of those yeah. voices. And as I did that, I discovered along the way that my experience, which I felt was incredibly isolating and which I felt like nobody could really relate to, actually resonated with people. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the number of times people have come to me since then, since I you know, wrote my book and since I've started podcasting, people have come to me saying, I feel like you're the only person in the world who could understand mm. me. Because I heard you talking about your experience yeah. and what you were saying clicked. So I have discovered sort of by surprise that this thing that I felt like completely isolated me from the rest of humanity has actually brought me so much closer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's true because I've read many things you've written since I've listened to podcasts and it was a whole different perspective than what I had ever heard, you know, and everything was all tabloids. When you got out of prison, you were there for four years. You didn't obviously have internet or newspapers. No. What what was it like coming out? How much did you know about how known you were? Um, I'll tell you that that plane ride home was wild. Hmm. Um, because first of all, even just trying to get to the airport, paparazzi were like ramming our car from behind, wow. like chasing us in the darkness. I had to get like escorted through the airport by private security. And then once I finally did get onto the airplane, there were journalists on the airplane who were trying to like sneak up and on get- On the airplane? Yeah, on the airplane who were trying to take pictures of me and trying to like sneak to my seat. Mm. And thankfully, like my, my family situated me in a place that was tucked away. But then, you know, everyone, it's an international flight. It's hours, hours long. Yeah. Everyone falls asleep around me. I can't sleep at all because my adrenaline is through the roof. I haven't been out of one building for yeah. four years and suddenly I'm in an airplane and I turn on the, you know, the TV to like watch some TV and just channel after channel is my face, mm. just my face, next channel, my face. And I was just like, what is happening? I can't even imagine. I, and, you know, my mom talked to me when I was in prison, like this thing has gotten out of control. It's yeah. like in the media everywhere, but there's only so much that I could really absorb about that yeah. while I was in a prison cell. Like I had five channels of Italian television and I was, you know, the story of what was going on with the case was on those channels a lot, yeah. but it still felt very isolated to Italy. I did not know that I was going to come home and, you know, Easy Street Records was going to have Welcome Home, Amanda, on, like, the billboard. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> and it's, like, kind of nice. And it's so and nice. Like, also, like, <laughs> but how do you know me? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. And so, yeah, I came home to a world that seemed to know who I was. Mm -hmm. And I did not know what to do about that. Um, so, yeah, it was bizarre. <laughs> And just a very strange kind of fame. You, the first group that you spoke to after you got out was actually a high school class. Your former high school teacher had asked you to come in and speak to the class. And there was a student 
that asked yeah. you a question that really rattled you. Yeah. So, and I was not, you know, this was very shortly after I got home. This was like a few months after I got home. And one of my English teachers from high school who stayed very close to me and was writing me throughout my imprisonment. So very sweet person. Um, she invited me to just come and talk to her class about the experience. And I didn't really even know what to say at that point, but I showed up and I talked a little bit about what happened. And then at the end of this, you know, short, you know, 45 minute class, then one of the kids raises their hand and their question was, so what's it like to be famous? And I was like, I am famous for something that has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. And I've slowly over the course of years realized that and, and come to terms with the fact that there is very likely nothing I will ever accomplish in my life that I will actually do yeah. that will come to define me more than having been accused of something that I didn't do. And if, and that's, and that's just true. And that sounds such like such a bummer. <laughs> it is a bummer. <laughs> I'm sorry to bum you out. Um, <laughs> Boobs. But it boobs. False alarm. Yeah. False alarm. False alarm. <laughs> so, like, clear the air. <laughs> but it's okay because um, I feel like, if anything, it's it's spotlighted for me how we are all defined in ways that we don't have control over. Yeah. And mine just happens to be really big and glaring and obvious and in everyone's face, but in a way that's almost kind of a relief because how many of us feel like in our small ways we are misunderstood and yeah. not seen and unheard and we don't really have a we know, we feel bad about it but we don't we can't really say why and no one's really going to feel sorry for us at least people feel sorry for me <laughs> so yeah well the crazy thing is is that your name is the most well known Yes. I don't know how many people in this room or this country can name the person who was actually convicted, who actually did the murder. How yeah. many people remember the name of your roommate, your friend, yeah, who, who was, was murdered? Killed? Those names are not as well known. No, and it's, it drives me nuts because um, <laughs> very, very often when I tell my story, um, I get criticized for, you know, telling my story in the first place because they say, well, the person whose story really matters is your friend who was murdered. And I say, absolutely, her story matters. Um, so does mine. But also, I find it interesting and I find it ironic that so many people have made like actual careers out of criticizing the way I have processed the trauma of my life. And yeah. so they are profiting off of processing my trauma that had, was a result of another friend's trauma. And I just don't know if they see the irony of that. Yeah. <laughs> After watching the Netflix documentary, I felt embarrassed of being a journalist, honestly. Yeah, it's not a good look these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, like, the guy that they did pick to focus on the most, he was exceptionally crass. But I was thinking, I mean, I was a journalist for 20 years. I mean, I could still be considered one but like in the news and I had to do stories where like a kid went missing I had to knock on this woman's door how do you feel you know they found the body how do you feel I oh, had to God. do those stories Shit. and I will never do those stories again because it is it's just it's not it's not how you treat people you know right. and we're so used to the sensationalism and and thinking well we deserve to know that's what right. the the news is you know they're delivering the news but how much do we exactly need to like know? is it in the public interest to be the ones who are telling the mom that their child that they found the child's body like yeah. we need we need her first reaction yeah like how do, do we need her feels? first reaction yeah. yeah so that's a great i that's great and i think that it's good that um, that journalists are sort of taking a step back. I mean, sort of forcibly because the yeah. industry is not looking good for journalists. Um, this is my last night of work. <laughs> <laughs> Did they bring you here to tell me this? <laughs> we need 
need your reaction. That is we need- kind of a fun way to learn, at least. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, the industry is is collapsing. It's harder and harder to be an ethical journalist. Yeah. Um, and the, the safe way of being, the profitable way of being a journalist is to just copy someone else's work without yeah. doing any of your own work. And, and that's because people are also, us as consumers, are not really wanting to pay for good journalism right. anymore. So there's that problem. It's a brutal cycle. And we're getting what we don't pay for. Well said. I'm curious because... Yes! <laughs> pay <I'm>, her! <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are exactly in the demographic that is the most drawn to true crime. Um, it's usually women, women in their 30s, 40s. Brunettes. Brunettes, girls, especially <laughs> Jewish women. Uh, I'm actually not interested in that genre. Neither but, am um, I. Yeah, okay. Yes. So I think a lot of people in this room might be. I'm curious what you think about that mm-hmm. genre because it is huge. And there's, you know, it started small and there's podcasts and there's TV shows. Using these terrible crimes as entertainment, mm. what do you think about that? Well, are you have you listened to my podcast at all, Labyrinth? I've listened to a few episodes. Okay, yeah. we have like we just put out um, a whole big series about this called mm. Blood Money. Okay, um, which yeah, which goes actually into the history because I I was actually really curious about this because I have a lot of thoughts about what's going on modern day, like how people's worst tragedies are not just being amplified in media, but also on social media. And we're, we, we feel almost compelled to, we, we feel compelled to put our own tragedies out there or else it doesn't really exist. Yeah. And then it gets recycled and turned into someone else's entertainment product because we don't really have control over what we put on. We don't, we don't have a say, we don't own the material that we put yeah. out on our own profiles. I was a learning experience. Let me tell you that. Um, but also I was curious to know, like, what is the history of this? And it shocked me to learn that, like, true crime has been a solid industry for a long, mm. long time. Like, since we were printing things. Like, we well, I were... guess, like, tarring and feathering is the original kind of, like, well, everyone gather around and, like... Yeah, everyone let's... gather around, public executions, all yeah. of that. But even, like, it was it was very common for people back in ye old times to make crime scenes available for the public to just walk through and see the bodies for themselves and like take little knickknacks and little souvenirs from crime scenes. Like that was a thing. Or people would be able to purchase the hangman's rope by the inch. Like that was a product. So in some ways it's gotten better. (laughs) Um, And in other ways it's just become so normalized that again people yeah. feel like they're entitled to other people's worst tragedies yeah. and um and that's just crappy for the people who find themselves at the center of them yeah i mean people who have listened to your last meal know that it does not center around death it's just a catalyst just a macabre title it's just, i know <laughs> well it's like you know it's a catalyst for talking about foods that people like but i read something a couple years ago that you know people think that the concept of the of the last meal is like exactly what you're talking about because it is entertainment you know in mm. some places where it is still legal to execute people you know they'll print it in the paper mm. and it's like a little bit too much of a fun fact right you know it kind of like lightens the mood that this person's being executed people right are like, and then like how does like Domino's think about that if it happens to be a Domino's pizza is oh. like that an advertisement <laughs> kind of like is the it? Peloton on Sex in the City when yeah. Big died on it <laughs> that's a deep cut from a Sex in the City pizza it's not that deep of a cut when was um, Sex in the City out was that a thing when I was in prison I never really watched it um I don't know the years I think no, it was already done it was but already there's done. the okay. new and just like that and that's where okay. he died on the Peloton I see yeah 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 okay, okay so on that no note <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that we have different genres of entertainment too, because I know that you're into Dungeons and Dragons yes. and Ren Fairs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying you don't like to get into a corset? I haven't yet, <laughs> but I like cats too. Okay. Okay. We <laughs> got where, the cats on that. That's where we merge. Yeah. <laughs> so I did read that, like, kind of on that note with culture, that um, when you were in the car, I think just leaving the prison, didn't your mom hand you her phone? Oh, yes. Yes. She handed me her smartphone, which didn't exist when I went into prison. And she was like, call everyone. Everyone wants to talk to you. And it's a screen with no buttons. And I was like, ow, <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. Um, so she had to dial it for me. Was there anything else like that when you got home that 
was just new? Uh, God, when I wa- like my mom had on the news and just on, there's the news and then there's the side of the news where all of the Twitter comments were happening. Mm. And that was just like, that's no longer a thing. But when I, when I first got home, like Twitter was part of the news. It was mm. just like adjacent to the screen on the news. Like yeah. it was bizarre to me that it was like, oh, everyone's just live commenting to the news as it's happening. That's <laughs> interesting <laughs> well it's kind of like a different version of talk radio like bob and muckle teo you know it's like yeah. what do you yeah. have to say yeah but yeah. just like constantly Constant, streaming. yeah <laughs> so i'm curious because you were talking about the fact that this will be the thing that you're most known for whether you like it or not and i read that you kind of had this fantasy of living in a tiny village in germany and yeah. being a seamstress and yeah. you know not being known if there was, I mean, it's kind of like old soap operas, like if everyone took an amnesia pill and the only thing they couldn't remember was, you know, this terrible thing that happened to you. Oh, yeah. And that was all clear. And people just knew you, your friends and your family. What do you think you would be doing with your life? What would you want to do with your life if, if it wasn't centered around what you've ended up doing? Gosh, that's a great question. I mean, I'd probably be swing dancing a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little more jaunty. <laughs> yeah, just be jaunty a little more. Yeah, try out funnier outfits. No, mm-hmm. I actually love funny outfits, despite everything. We'll get to your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what would I would what would I be doing differently? Um, hmm, that's a great question. Um, well, now I'm a new mom, so yeah. I'm just momming the crap out of everything, and I'm just being a mom, which is, if your mom's out there, you know what that feels like. So I'm trying to figure out my life balance again yeah. from that. Amanda um, has a toddler and a newborn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. For those who know what that experience is like. Actually, <laughs> it's awesome. My daughter is super chill with a new baby. Oh, good. And, and he's sleeping really well. So Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how to answer your question, because I've, I don't spend too much time fantasizing about the reality that isn't. Right. Um, I try to spend more time being at peace with the reality that is. Yeah. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbow, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest, and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. listening to your last meal you might like watching my new tv show the nosh with rachel bell we just wrapped up season one so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at cascadepbs.org in episode one i convince an east coast skeptic that seattle now has fantastic bagels and in the season finale we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of seattle episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh. Available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. Let's talk about food. Yeah. (laughs) So I want to start with your childhood Mm because you grew up uh, with divorced parents and it sounds like you had two totally different culinary cultural experiences happening. Yes. It was so fun going from one house to the other because at my mom's house, my mom was born in Germany. um, We were always having, you know, Svetchkenknödel and um, Spätzle and Rouladen and stuff like that. Mm. And then... My dad's house is hot dogs, hamburger helper, uh-huh. cocoa puffs. And, um, and so, you know, I grew up with just like a, a deep, deep awareness of different cultures and diff- that come with yeah. different expressions of food and also different table manners. Um, there's oh, a... Yeah. <laughs> I love so, this story. Yeah, this is, this is great. So at my dad's house, 
and I don't know what actually is the American way of doing this. It, I'm confused about if this is the actual American way or if this is just my dad being weird. But like my dad sort of insisted that as I eat at the dinner table, I have one hand in my hat in my lap politely, and the other hand is for using to eat. Like, and it, I only use this hand if I need to cut something, and then I set down my knife and I put it back in my lap. So here I am at my dad's house. Being That's very pretty polite, polite for Hot Dog Town. I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I know. You know, because <laughs> there was that hand on the box of the hamburger helper. I know. Like maybe his other hand was down <laughs> yeah, below. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> But then, if you go to my mom's house, if I start doing that, everyone, someone at the dinner table is going to be like, what are you doing, fooling with yourself down there? Like, get that hand on the table. So. Yeah. Keep it up there where we can see yeah, it. Yeah, where we can see it. <laughs> so have you, um, do you cook German food, like, now that you have your own family oh, and yeah. doing your own traditions? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. my husband is, like, full hog in it. Like, he has mastered the pretzel. Um, he has yeah. mastered the schnitzel. Um, so we're schnitzel master. Schnitzel, that's what we call him. Yeah. <laughs> In the bedroom. No, just kidding. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? We know what Imagine it means. what that would look Everyone like. Everyone gets to have their own special meaning for it. That's why you're here to tell your story. Yeah. Um, so for the holidays, for Thanksgiving, for example, I'm always interested when there is like an immigrant in the family or like mm. a full immigrant family. Did your mom, do you have like a hybrid or do you do like totally traditional Thanksgiving meal? Well, so here's a question. Is macaroni and cheese a thing that Americans do during Thanksgiving? Because... I was just talking about this the other I'm day. I'm so confused by this. Um, I've heard people do that. I've never done that. Um, but at the same time, like, one of the things that is, like, a staple for big family gatherings is something that we call rotkohl. Mm -hmm. Does anyone know what rotkohl is? No. Um, it's German red cabbage. Um, oh, I've so, had that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of sweet and sour. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that's It's like really the good. red version or the purple version of yeah. sauerkraut. And I love it. And I make too. it with everything. So that's something that we typically have regardless of the holiday. Have you just recently encountered a mac and cheese on a Thanksgiving menu? Well, okay. So my mother-in-law was saying that she went to Costco and they have like these pre-packaged Thanksgiving dinners for people who can't be bothered. Mm -hmm. And macaroni. <laughs> no, sh no shade. <laughs> no shade. <laughs> they can't be bothered. <laughs> and macaroni and cheese is part of it. And I was just flummoxed. Hmm. So... We didn't grow up with it either, but I think some people definitely do. Does anyone in this room do mac and cheese for Thanksgiving? A little bit, yeah. yeah? Yes, wow. <laughs> oh, oh. strong feelings. I know. <laughs> Started no. a conflict no. here. <laughs> <laughs> so I know you're a New York Times bestselling memoirist, but um, I found in my research a cookbook written by Amanda Knox called Keto recipes for women over 60. That does not sound like me. <laughs> when did you write it? <laughs> this is just a dumb joke in here. I'm done with that now. Okay, we're moving on. We're moving on. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay, so what was the food like in prison? Oh. Um. <laughs> you know, a lot of people think that it's better because it's Italy. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> and someone resoundedly said yes. yes. Someone who's been to prison both in America and in Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that's where Chef Boyardee got his start. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah in the prisons. Yes, in the prisons. <laughs> um, so, okay, so I'll just tell you what it was. Because yeah. um, I, have, I have not been to prison in the United States. I yeah. have a lot of friends who have. Um, it's true, actually, <laughs> I do. Because I'm in the innocence world, so a lot of my friends have been in prison. But... Um, that would have been better as a joke. Now it's just sad. Yeah. <laughs> we laugh so we don't cry. <laughs> so I've heard like the horror stories about like the rotten bologna and all the stuff here. So I'm sure it is atrocious. Yeah. Um, in Italy, we had two meals a day. Um, so in the morning, you were just brought a hot liquid of some kind. So it oh. was either hot milk or hot tea oh. or like, um, you know, those like instant coffees that sort of tasted a little bit like liquid toast. Anyway, it was oh, a liquid. like burnt toast? Yeah, like burnt toast. And okay. honestly, I didn't mind it after a while. I kind of got used to it. But hmm. anyway, so that was our breakfast. And then lunch. That's your whole breakfast? Yeah, yeah. Hot just, liquid. Whoa. Yes. Okay. Well, typically what you would do is you would just buy some kind of, you know, biscotti or something from commissary. So there was a commissary. Okay. There was a commissary. You okay. could buy things. Um, then lunch would be, and dinner was actually the exact same thing as lunch. It was a starch, a vegetable, and a meat. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it was usually just plain, some kind of plain pasta, some kind of boiled vegetable, and some kind of very, very cheap meat. That yeah. was, yeah. Yeah, it was all bad. It was very bad. Yeah. Um, and so what I would do, I lived a lot off of lentils. Um, was that I, something you got in the commissary? Yes. Yeah, yeah, you okay. could, yeah, you could get like a little bag of lentils. Um, oh, and I, and, you could and they were like, well, they were pre-cooked. So it was oh, like those okay. pre-cooked packages. Yeah. And I would just open one of those and put some salt on it and just sadly mm. eat it. Um, but you know what? It was, it was okay. I, yeah. I survived. Well, I know in American prisons, there can be like a lot of cooking that's done like yes. people will steal you know like little creamer packets and sugar sure. packets and things like that and then people go to the commissary yeah. yeah and so um I actually had um Prodigy the rapper who he has since passed but he was in prison and then he wrote a whole cookbook about the foods that they would oh, make that's what I should have did yeah <laughs> and I mean they would make cheesecake using yeah. like the creamers and oh, I don't remember what else like sugar packets and stuff that's so clever. I was wondering if you did that or if that was something common that people did because they would actually get together and like celebrate someone's birthday like let's oh, yeah. make a cake or whatever they were going to make a lot of Doritos sprinkled on things yes yeah 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 a little trick we didn't have Doritos but um we absolutely got very creative and that was yeah. that was typically what people did. Most people did not just eat the food that they brought you. You doctored it. Yeah. So if they brought you boiled potatoes, what you would do is you would bring, everyone would pool their boiled potatoes in the cell and you would mix it with like egg and flour and then you would make gnocchi. Whoa, really? Yes. So something like that. Interesting. Um, We also made hooch. He talked about hooch. He told me about hooch. It was very bad, but did the job. (laughs) <laughs> would you share your recipe sure it's um a carton of pineapple juice with pizza yeast hid behind the Wait, toilet buy- for several months oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible you could buy pizza yeast yeah you could buy pizza in the commissary yeast. yes that, yeah. why would they sell pizza because yeast? it's italia <laughs> <laughs> you're throwing your prison pizzas in the air People were making pizzas. We were wow. rolling them out with broomsticks. Yeah. But you couldn't bake it? We um, we had, so you can, it was sort of like a Dutch oven bake. We had, okay. um, we were allowed camping stoves in our cells. Really? But we weren't allowed like nutmeg because they were afraid <laughs> we were going to smoke the nutmeg. And oh, or get like the high? cinnamon challenge. I don't know. I, yeah, some, yeah, some Todd pocket thing or whatever. I don't know. Tide pocket, whatever. What oh, kids are Tide doing Pods. Yeah. Yeah, Tide yeah. Pods. That was the reference. Okay. But Tide Pocket is like, <laughs> Tide Pocket. So I see. <laughs> yeah. So we, yeah, we had this little camping stove. We had um, a kind of large saucepan thing and we would roll out dough and then stick it in the pan with the lid and wow. we could, we can make ourselves a pizza. So did you have to eat in your cell? There wasn't a, yeah, there dining? was no, there was no dining hall. We okay. were, um, there was like a little slot in our door that you had to, we had to stick our plate through. They slopped it on our plate and wow. then stuck it back through the door. Could you see anyone else? Yeah, so it was one long hallway, mm-hmm. and there were cells on each side of the hallway, yeah. so you could have a chat with the people who were in the cell across from you, yeah. um, or, as was typical, you would go to the, your door and say, Affacheti! And then whoever you were calling would come to the cell door that was down the hallway, and you'd have a conversation across oh. the hallway, and people would be like, shut up! <laughs> so there's a lot what of is, yelling. What does that mean? Affacheti? Uh-huh. It means, um, so... It's, we don't have a direct translation in English, but it basically means face yourself. Um, it's like come, reveal yeah, yourself. Yeah, reveal yourself, mm-hmm. basically. Come to the door. Okay. Like, get out here. And it's, but it's a facha ti. So facha is face. So oh, yeah. face yourself out. Yeah. Were you dreaming of certain foods? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Oh, God, yes. Um, the number, I've had indecent thoughts about sushi. <laughs> <laughs> Very indecent thoughts. <laughs> Just walking around, like, mesmerized at the memory of sushi. Mm. That was the thing that I craved the most when I was over there. Do you remember the first thing that you ate when you got home? Surprisingly, I didn't eat for a week at all? At all. I was like so um, sort of shocked wow. and adrenaline running through my system that I could barely sleep wow. and I couldn't eat um, for like a week. 
And it's terrible. yeah, and my family like wanted to have a big party. They had a big cake and everything, yeah. and I just like couldn't. I just couldn't stomach anything. Yeah, I was. I, I was even having trouble. Like here, my I am like. I have my entire family around me and my cousins who I haven't seen in years are like they were babies when I left and now they're little kids and they're running around and everyone's loud and excited and hugging me. And I remember being like feeling really bad because I felt the need to retreat Mm. because I had not been around anyone in my family for more than an hour at a time for four years. And so it was a lot to be around so many people at once for just indefinite periods of time. And I would get like really quiet and confused. And so it's, it's super real that like the, the fact that people come home from prison and sometimes they feel like they can't deal with the world and they just need to stare at a wall because that's what they're used to. Um, as sad as bummer. God, I'm going back to bummer. Sorry, guys. It's gonna, <laughs> Such a it's gonna get fun again. Okay, okay. It's okay. Let's talk about your last meal. What would yeah. you choose to eat for your last meal? <laughs> is, it, is it fun? It's fun, right? It's just it's a just catalyst a for conversation. <laughs> just said that earlier. <laughs> it's just so many death row vibes. I know. Um, okay, so. <laughs> um, We're I would both wearing prop- stripes. I know. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Unintentional. Subliminal messaging. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I would probably go for some kind of incredible fusion between sushi and Italian food. Which the latter probably gets a lot of like raised eyebrows, right? That people think like... A lot of people think that I would hate Italian food Mm -hmm. after everything. And the thing is, I didn't get to eat that much Italian food while I was in Italy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Italian food's great. (laughs) So I, I would love some like burrata straight from Napoli Mm. and some like ceviche, some raw fish. Like that sounds like divine to me. What's your favorite sushi? Ooh, um, probably shouldn't say fatty tuna because that's not totally sustainable. But, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm so basic. I will, I love a salmon sashimi. Just like, just give me the raw fish. Yeah. I love it. Well, we have a little surprise for you. Um, we did a little hybrid of sushi-ish, Japanese Yay! food and Italian food. <laughs> Everyone in the audience is going to get theirs. Um, so we have a fabulous caterer. And we came up with this idea. Oh, so we did onigiri. So for those who don't know, it's like a Japanese rice ball. And you usually stuff delicious. it in the middle. So this one is stuffed with smoked mozzarella and basil. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> and then this one, I'm really proud of this one. Uh, this is a matcha cream cannoli with yes. black sesame with seeds. With black sesame. Yes. Oh, my so God. So everyone will be getting their onigiri. They're going to pass them out. And then on your way out as we leave, you'll get your cannoli. Isn't that like, take the cannoli? Or is that a thing? <laughs> I never saw that movie. <laughs> is that good? Um, <laughs> so have you ever had onigiri before? Oh, of course I've had okay. onigiri, yeah. yeah. Do we eat it now? We can. Yeah. We don't have, I mean, okay, it's like a cooking show. You have to take a bite, right? And then make the face in the camera. Mm. Yeah. I'll make the face. Yeah. Mm. Mm. <laughs> awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank right, you. Good. You're welcome. That's awesome. Thank you. So I read that you're a little bit of a pizza snob. I am a pizza snob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I kind of don't eat pizza unless it's actually made by an Italian and <laughs> was that really bad? So did you? I know you've been back to Italy since. Did you have a chance to then eat good pizza to know that this would be what to model it on? Oh yeah, time? and I had. I would say before I got arrested, I did get to eat a few pizzas. Okay, so good. That's how I know okay, that good. what good pizza is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I know what a good pizza is. I know where you can get good pizza in Seattle. Tell me, what's your favorite place? Um, well, Osole Mio on Vashon Island is oh. amazing. Okay. Um, yeah, they're very, very good. 
Um, Are they the ones, do they have like a little shop too? Because somebody, when I came back from Italy, mm -hmm. I had never had pesto as good as I had in Cinque Terre. And somebody said they make really good pesto on this place in Vashon. And I wonder oh, if yeah. it's the same yep. place. Yeah, they have an, a little uh, store adjacent okay. where they sell it like olive oil and wine and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. So, yeah. Okay, so that's good. Yeah, great. Is it Neapolitan? Yeah, Neapolitan pizza. pizza. Yep. I want to talk about your wedding. Oh, Because yeah. you did, tell me the theme because online there's all different, what did you call it? Well, it's it was a time travel themed escape room wedding. Oh, did you actually do an escape room? <laughs> yes. So my husband and I spent an entire year handcrafting puzzles for 25 tables wow. that had to be solved in order for us to end up married <gasps> at the end of the evening. Oh, no. <laughs> Our guests had to solve all the puzzles for us to walk away as a married couple. How long did it take? <laughs> um, you know, we and we had people walking around giving people clues okay. because we also knew that we had an open bar and that meant not yeah. everyone was on their best judgment. <laughs> so, yeah. So, eventually they got solved. I think it took about hour and a half for all of them okay. to get solved. Yeah. Okay, so it wasn't like midnight and you're like, we no, just no, want like to get married. Yeah. <laughs> when our honeymoon going to happen? Yet? Yeah. <laughs> um, and you you had your guests dress up too and you guys dressed yes. up. Yeah, so that so if if you guys go on YouTube, YouTube, it's a thing. Um, <laughs> you can actually see how my husband proposed to me. Um, it's all his fault, really. So he proposed to me by making this meteorite crash land in my backyard. And inside the meteorite was this data crystal from the future that told the story of our love-like story. And so in the future, so he came back in the past and he was like, oh, I must have proposed to you now. So I guess I'm proposing to you now. Will you marry me? It was a whole time travel themed proposal which you can see on YouTube. Um, but then we decided that we had to then follow that along. We had to keep the story going. And so our time travel themed wedding involved us going into the future, looking ourselves up on the Google of the future, uh -huh. and by so doing, breaking our time streams apart. And we stopped existing. And so the tech support of the future brought all of our friends and family. This is complex. <laughs> yes, it is complex. <laughs> brought all of our family to a bubble outside of space and time. <laughs> and in the meantime, all of our friends and family were scattered across space and time. So people showed up at our wedding as like googly-eyed aliens from the future and Tyrannosaurus Rexes and everyone in between. Um, it was great. Yes. Was, yeah. <laughs> but going back to what we said earlier, when I looked this up, you know, there's articles in The Guardian mm -hmm. and the headline is like, strange wedding. Yes. Like they just tried to turn it into like, she's so weird. The worst possible light. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. and I also had read like, I'm glad that we get to do like a light and a dark with this because you had said that people don't want you to be silly because then they think that you are disrespecting yes. Meredith or you're disrespecting the case as if for the rest of your life, every single day, you're supposed to be in a mourning right. mood. Right, yes. Yeah, I am I am in black for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's the filter through which they see me. I am a tragedy. Mm -hmm. And if I live my life in any way that isn't a tragedy, I am somehow disrespecting that tragedy. Yeah. yeah. And it's um, it's a unreasonable expectation that I just have decided I'm not going to carry. <laughs> so. <Yay>. Shucks. <laughs> okay, so back to the wedding. Yes. I'm curious what you served. I only saw one picture you posted on Instagram and it looked like slices of daikon, but they were hot pink. Yes, well, so those were things that Chris and I prepared ahead of time. The actual main meal was a pizza. A pizza. <laughs> but it was like pizza from the future, so it was all like blue and purple. <laughs> you um, just had them dye the, yeah, the yeah, dough? Yeah. That's so, fun. Yeah, it was super fun. But yeah, my husband and I prepared all of these um, hors d'oeuvres um, because we also weren't going to feed anyone until after they solved all the puzzles. Like, better work fast. So we had all these hors d'oeuvres that we prepared as well, and they were um, from different time periods. We had four different bars. One was from the 20s, one was from the Viking era, one was from ancient Rome, and one was from the future. And the daikon were supposed to be like alien, like ideas okay appetizers yeah Where, was it cooked I'm curious I was looking at it, I was wondering how it was prepared uh it's more like we pickle it so you take oh, like yeah. rice vinegar and stuff and yeah. then you and then you just put food dye in the in the rice vinegar and all okay. the various yummy stuff and then you stick in the fridge for a while and it, 
it becomes it absorbs all yeah. those great pickly flavors. It's like a pickled egg, how it exactly. was pink. Yeah. So you guys love to cook, right? You oh, and husband? yes. We yeah. love to cook. It's one of the things that we bonded over um, when we first started dating. Mm-hmm. Um, I think our first like official date wasn't, we didn't go out anywhere. We just stayed in, made artichoke risotto and mm. watched a very, very silly film called Norwegian Ninja. <laughs> it's like it's very a uh, niche uh-huh. <laughs> an art film <laughs> yeah it's, it's a bunch of Nor- Norwegian guys who become enlightened through their their ninja hood you know good. that sounds don't worry about good. it <laughs> it's very good yeah. before I get to the speed round um are you going you're going back to trial is that correct that is correct actually um ah, no it's actually good news um so I Little known fact, I was and remain convicted of a crime that I did not convi- or commit in Italy, and that is slander. So I was interrogated without a lawyer. I was interrogated without, um, without representation. I was interrogated without being told that I was a suspect. Yeah. And I was eventually convicted of slander for the statements that I signed um, during those interrogations. Right. Which were in Italian, and you didn't speak fluent Italian. No, yeah. They were, they were written by the police, but I signed them, and they were used to convict me of slander. And right. actually, they... They said in the ultimate conviction that three of the years that I spent imprisoned were rightfully served for that for that offense. And for the longest time, I didn't know if I was going like that was just final. That was just it. There was nothing I can do about it. But recently, last year, actually, Italy passed a new law that said that if an international court rules against the final ruling in Italy, you can appeal that final mm. ruling in Italy based on that international court's ruling. And I had appealed that that ruling to yeah. the European Court of Human Rights, and they ruled in my favor. So I brought that ruling back to Italy and presented my case to ask for that case to be dismissed. And they overturned the conviction, hmm. and I now have to go back for retrial. Wow. So do you have, you have to go to I Italy. I have to go back. And How I do you testify. feel about that? <laughs> um, yeah. It's... I'm still processing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the worst that can happen just that... That they'll reinstate the conviction. Okay. Yeah. But there's no way that you would ever have to serve more time? No, I don't. I okay. think that would be pretty obscene. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to do this? Or are you doing... You said it's a good thing. Are you doing this because you just want to be cleared free? I don't want to be convicted of something I didn't do. Yeah. And... Um, So when I found out that there was a way to address this issue, honestly, it was the Italy Innocence Projects um, through their support that I even went to do this because um, they were the ones who were pushing to change that law. Mm. And um, once they changed it, the representative from the Italy Innocence Project, which didn't exist while I was going through everything, um, reached out to me and said, I think we want to take on your case as like the first case to really embody this law. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Let's do a speed round. That doesn't have to be that fast if you don't want it to be. Uh, what is your perfect birthday cake? Ooh, not a cake. Okay. Um, I, although I have been watching a lot of the British baking show. Me too. Are you watching the new season? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course I am. Okay, so not a cake. What would you be your perfect birthday dessert? Birthday, perfect birthday dessert. Well, you know, now I'm going to have to take that back slightly because I had never tried babka before. Oh, yeah. And I just tried babka and it is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Sh- I understand why Seinfeld was having such an ordeal <laughs> over the babka. Although both the cinnamon and the chocolate are incredible. So I could Did go you go either. to New York? Did you try it in New York? I had a friend ship me from New York a babka mm, nice. when we gave birth to our child. So. Like a little baby babka. Yeah, a little yeah. baby. Uh, a baby and a babka. You know. A baby and a babka, yeah. <laughs> I love that. I don't know if that is technically a cake or if it's like an enriched dough, Just, like a, bre- a twisty mm, bread. I don't even know. twisty, gooey, yeah. cinnamony. It's just so it good. It's good. Yeah. Uh, favorite movie theater snack? I mean, I like me some popcorn because I like the savory. Yeah. Yeah. What do you put on your popcorn? Um, 
I'm going to sound so lame. I don't put anything extra on it because lame. I know it's so lame. <laughs> well, but because it, it's already so I just covered in stuff and good, like it's already yeah. bright yellow, and it's like, does it need any more radioactive stuff <laughs> on it? Like, I don't know. yeah. Point taken. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite Seattle restaurant or a dish from a restaurant? And and Vashon can count too. Just yes, in this region. Um, I Vashon is going to have to count okay. because May's Kitchen. Uh-huh. If you've never been, is the best Thai food ever. That's except I've never been to Thailand, but like ever. <laughs> and it's it's shocking. It'll make you hmm. not be able to eat Thai food anywhere else ever again. I've it's heard so that. Good. I've heard there was. I don't know if it's still there. Maze was in Wallingford on Forty Fifth, and oh. I don't know if it moved and it's the same thing or if it's separate. Oh, I have sure. no idea. I'll have to look into that. Uh, what was. For each pregnancy, or you can choose one, what was your biggest craving? Ooh, same for both. Kiwi. Really? Yeah. I needed me some citrus action. That and pineapple. I don't know. No I scurvy just, for those babies. I, yeah. I just like consumed obscene quantities. Mm. In fact, my husband like has these fond memories of me just like eating them like raw eggs. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Do you eat the fuzzy part too? You can. I, 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 I would I would just scoop them out mm-hmm. and just glop. Um, I read that you're a forager. What is your favorite thing to forage and what do you like to make? I mean, mushrooms by far my favorite thing to forage um, because it's scary. No, (laughs) because you can pick it wrong. You can be wrong. Um, No, but I've had some incredible luck with like lobster and chanterelle mushrooms. And it's so satisfying. In fact, that was going mushroom hunting was the first like thing that I did when I got home that Mm. actually really brought me some great mental health benefits. It yeah. was like the first therapeutic thing I did that I wasn't even expecting. It was right. um, uh, my Italian professor at the UW invited me to go chanterelle hunting with him. Mm. And I remember just like walking through the forest and being just shocked at how like soft the earth was Yeah, because like I had been years in concrete, just concrete everywhere. And then like the softness of the earth, I, I felt like I was like walking on the moon yeah. I was like buoyant and yeah. I just felt so at peace. So I can walk for days mushroom hunting. That was Amanda Knox's last meal. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. You're such a gem. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming out. It was so nice to see all of your faces. You know, when you make a podcast or I was in radio for a long time, I don't get to see anybody who's listening. So everybody that I talked to tonight, it was really, really fun. Thanks for coming out. I hope to see you next time. Bye. <laughs> Make sure you check out Amanda's podcast. It's called Labyrinths. You can find a link in the show notes. She and her husband also co-host a parenting podcast with another couple called Younglings. If you want to learn more about the murder case, there is a 2016 documentary on Netflix called Amanda Knox, or you can pick up her memoir called Waiting to be Heard. Your Last Meal was created, hosted, and produced by me and is a product of Seattle's Cascade Public Media. Original theme music by Prom Queen. Special thanks to Rusty Bugcall for engineering the live event and to the entire events team for creating such a fun night. Anne O'Dowd, Jake Newman, Halen Blanchard, and all of the volunteers. If you want to be alerted to future live events, make sure you're subscribed to my newsletter, rachelbell.substack.com. And if you want access to that VIP area with the complimentary drinks and all of the cheese and the very good snacks, become a member of Cascade PBS. Go to kcts9.org donate. You can find all of these links in the show notes. You can also follow along on Instagram. I'm Hello Rachel Bell, and you can send me a message at yourlastmealpodcast.com. Always looking for guest ideas, new sponsors of the podcast, and anything else you want to talk about. I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. <laughs>